Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, hey, it looks like we're live. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Because Money podcast. We're excited that you're here with us. We've got uh, special guest, Noel D'Souza, and it's Noel, not Noel, so you got to get that right. And we've agreed that every time we get it wrong, we will send him a dozen cookies in the mail. So, Noel, I'm hoping we get it right, but if for your sake, I hope we get it wrong. Noel's with the Money Coaches of Canada, and uh, apparently he's got a couple of his colleagues watching in, so a big hello to the Money Coaches of Canada who just happen to be watching. Um, to anybody else who's watching us live, Join the conversation on the Twitter. This is the housekeeping part of uh, our show here. Um, join us. Talk with us. The four of us can only sit and talk about uh, stuff for so long. Have your say. It's hashtag because money on the Twitter, and I will be social moderating, so I'll be kind of, if you see me looking over to this screen like this, it's because I'm looking for what you have to say. So we're going to start. Noel's going to tell us a little bit about who he is, what he does, how professional he wants to be all day, and uh, and then Rob's going to intro a, a story called Does My Mother Need a Fee-Only Financial Planner, and uh, Sandy's going to talk about fairy godmothers. I will point this out at the start of the show. If we have technical difficulties, we're just going to try and go through. Google has changed a lot about how their Hangouts work, and unfortunately, they're not nearly as stable as they used to be. So we're going to do our best. Thanks for sticking with us. And, you know, if somebody gets bounced, we'll try and bring them back in and uh, send them cookies accordingly. So, Noel, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you come from, and all that. Floor is yours, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot, Jackson. Uh, so yes, I am Noel D'Souza. I'm a money coach with Money Coaches Canada. And uh, Money Coaches Canada is basically a network of fee-only financial professionals across Canada, uh, really from BC to Ontario right now. And we try to work with our clients to basically help them manage their money better. And what that means is a lot of things. It could be helping people with their cash flow, with their debt and debt payments, uh, helping them with the big decisions they have to make in their lives with regards to money, and then some of the more traditional sort of financial planning aspects, um, you know, investment reviews, uh, retirement planning, estate planning, tax reduction, management, uh, all that good stuff that everyone's so excited about. Uh, but we don't sell any products. We don't sell investment or insurance products. So we are fee only. Nice. Uh, and cool. I'm based in Toronto. Uh, we do have coaches, like I said, mostly in BC and Ontario, uh, with a couple in Alberta right now, and I guess we'll be expanding over time as well, as uh, it takes a while to bring a new coach online and get them sort of all trained up in, in working with people and dealing with their uh, money issues and, and money so healing. Do you, guys, so. do you guys do mostly in-person meetings, or do you do mostly online stuff? Uh, it's really up to the individual coach and up to the client. So all of us offer in-person meetings, but many of us also are, for those of us who are comfortable working online, we do so. And with clients who are uh, interested and comfortable with working online, you know, we'll offer that service as well. Uh, a lot of the clients like that because for online meetings, for instance, myself, I can do an online meeting in the, in the evenings um, so they don't have to take time off work and they don't have to, uh, you know, find a babysitter and, and most of all fight Toronto traffic, which nobody wants to do. Nice. I got it. Oh, and uh, we've got our first comment on the Twitter, and uh, apparently Urban Departures is expecting big things for this episode four. Nice poster. 
A New Hope, is it? So, yes, uh, thanks for that. Sandy, what are we calling this episode? Um, you gave it a crazy name. Uh, oh, I forget it. Low-cost, hand-holding, fairy godmother, fee-only financial planners. There we go. So we're into it. We're, we're rolling live into the show. Uh, Noel, thanks for the introduction. And, uh, yeah, feel free to jump in and uh, let's, let's talk about this... Uh, does my mother need a fee-only financial planner? Rob, what's your take? Well, I, I found this uh, this thread in the Canadian Money Forum, which is uh, it's a great go-to source for Canadians looking for personal finance advice and asking questions. A really knowledgeable forum, and uh, so so someone posted in there, does my does my mother need a financial planner? And so he was worried about his mother. Uh, I can't remember her age, but um, you know, sh should he kind of help her? go the DIY route or should he uh, or should he recommend like a financial planner for her and he's interested in kind of a fee the fee only side of things where just like Noel said it's not about uh, specific investments uh, but more of an overall financial plan and so a lot of the comments I found were really interesting and I think it went three or four pages deep worth of comments and someone made the comment like the um, the unbiased uh, only planner who is just is not going to charge you based on your assets, um, but but just a straight flat fee doesn't exist. That doesn't exist in Canada. There, that's the fairy godmother, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. And and so seeing how, as we have two people who do that type of service here, I thought that would be an interesting uh, topic for the podcast uh, tonight. I missed my opportunity to wear fairy wings. Oh, man, that could have been awesome. You could have had a wand. You could have, like, started just jumping in the conversation. I've actually got the thread open, and, uh, yeah, she, uh, this, uh, the guy that's doing this, his mother's 68, and apparently he said the options were open self-directed accounts, um, open self-directed accounts with and buy low-cost ETFs herself, hire an asset-based financial planner who would charge her, for example, 1% of the portfolio's value, or continue with a financial planner at a mutual fund company who's paid by trailing commissions. So, uh, Sandy, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, does that, is it a fairy godmother, or does that actually exist in Canada? It actually exists. The difficulty, I think Noelle and I were talking about this before, the, the big difficulty is that um, it's new. It's, it's, a, it's an industry in its infancy here in Canada, the fee-only planning, and specifically the hourly or the, or the project-based fee-only planning, where instead of saying, oh, well, you have a million dollars, so I'm going to charge you this amount of money versus the person who, the more, again, correct me, I'm sure I'm wrong, um, the regular kind of person who doesn't have a million dollars in their portfolio who may have you know, spent their whole life saving up to have maybe $500,000, and that's, a, I mean, that would be fantastic. Um, those people don't feel like they don't have access to anybody that will give them advice that, that um for a reasonable cost, except for mutual fund salespeople and bank representatives. Um, and those people, of course, are paid or compensated or evaluated on their performance based on how much and of what kind of product they sell. So, of course, at, the, at that time, it seems as though there's the potential for a conflict of interest, right? Like, do I know if they're recommending that product to me because I really need it and it would really work well in my portfolio and it would fit with the rest of my entire goals? Or are they, are they selling that to me because they want to pay their mortgage next week? 
So, and it's not to say that those people aren't doing what they can for their clients, but the industry that we have uh, can create that very easily create that perception of a conflict of interest. Yeah, and I think I mean I think there are good planners out there who work under that model, but it is really an uphill battle. You're kind of moving against the tide when you're required as uh, one of your job functions to sell other products. So, for instance, if you're in a bank, you have to sell connected products, whether it's uh, you know a line of credit or a credit card or or whatever it is. Uh, I fortunately I I came into this industry fairly recently, and I've come straight into the fee-only model. So I don't have experience in that part of the industry. I think Sandy, you have had some experience, and you could probably explain better uh, what it was like for you. Like you obviously want to work in the best interest of your client. What was it like for you to uh, to have to deal with that? Um, well, the way that, the way that it's structured at I mean the bank that I was at, and and from my conversations with other bankers, um, with most banks, is that you have to account for all of the time. Of course, your your employer is the bank. They want to make sure that the money that you're spending you is spending on on employing you is turning into other money, right? And lots more. So you have to account for all of the time that you are in your office. You can't just spend that time talking through the way that somebody thinks about their money, or the best way to structure their accounts, or um, possibly the you know whether maybe they should be paying down their debt instead of worrying about investing full stop. You can't really spend a lot of time on that because you have an hour, hour's worth of time, and at the end of the day or at the end of the week, you're going to have to talk to your manager about how come you didn't sell that person the product. You didn't have something that you could count towards your quota that week. And of course, most bankers aren't paid on a commission, but most bankers are evaluated and their performance and their bonus and their upcoming raises, all of those are tied around how if they made their you know, if they made 10 appointments for the following week, if they made 25 outbound cold calls a day, you have a very strict set of things that you need to be doing with your time, let alone servicing the people who are your clients. It's very difficult. You are made to feel as though you are stealing time from the bank if you spend more than just half an hour kind of glossing over, oh, you want to you want to pay down debt? Okay, well, let's, you know, let's consolidate your debt and move forward and talk about how we can sell you a credit card now. That's a big, long mouthful, but that was my experience. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump in here and actually say, you know, as, as I've said before, I have no financial planning background. I'm an entrepreneur, and the thought of giving somebody my money to manage it is just completely foreign to me. So I've never done it. I've never had a mutual fund. I had a terrible experience with a self-directed stock trading platform back when before Scotia bought Trade Freedom, and I lost all my money, so that was awesome. But the idea of giving somebody my money just blew blows my mind and I was kind of doing the calculation um, in this article does my mother need a fee-only financial planner uh, she says my mother is 60 years old and recognizes that low MER ETFs those are abbreviations that don't make sense would save her money but she's not comfortable with DIY investing so I looked at it and MER apparently that stands for management expense ratio correct me yes yep Okay, there we go. So I learned something from the Globe and Mail today on a Google search. Um, and basically, so that rolls over on the 12 year or 12 months, and it's the basically the cost of managing the fund. So as this guy says, his mother's got a million dollars in assets. Are you telling me that a MER of 2.25 is $22,500 a year as an expense to her to manage her money? Like, are we? Are, is that correct here? Oh, 
Noel, you're muted. Sorry, you got to go to your computer. You got unmuted. You were breathing, and all of a sudden, Sandy was not heard. So I muted you. I got. <laughs> oh, this okay. Sorry. Uh, it's my Jedi powers. <laughs> You'll be muted. Uh, no, that's right. The the fee would be twenty two and a half thousand, and she will never see it. Uh, it is taken out of the fund before she gets her results, gets her um, investment return stated to her. But she will never see that twenty two and a half thousand dollars that comes out. So. Uh, that's one of the so issues. So, how much as well. money do they make for her? Like, are they making more than twenty-two thousand? Uh, well, that's that's the variable. You know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Uh, so that's when they use the the, the hypothetical six percent, four percent, eight percent, eight percent, and more like and, two. Or well, those, it, co- those it costs could are be, fixed, right? Well, I mean, those costs are still there, even if there's a negative return on the fund. So, if there's a negative uh, year and she's actually lost money, that two point two five still comes out. You're telling me that the standard way of doing finance in Canada at 2.25% MER, you're going to charge me, if I got a million dollars in assets, you're going to charge me $22,000 with no guarantee you're going to make me money. You could lose me money and still charge me $22,000? That's the way the mutual fund industry works, yes. And we think this is okay? Sorry, I'm coming at this ignorant. <laughs> we don't. We don't. <laughs> okay, there we go. So how, wh- how, is, how is it better? What do you guys do that's better? Well, there, it's interesting because you know there is the risk component in any kind of investment endeavor. So um, you know, no matter where you go and if you're going to be investing, if you're, if you're undertaking investing in a business, there is the risk of loss. And the company is providing a service. They are managing your assets and hopefully you have a good manager. And there's, a whole, there's the whole discussion about... Uh, active management versus passive management, and there are relative costs there that are you know, cheaper or more expensive, and options in the middle as well. But uh, you know, they are providing a service. There is the risk of loss, but how much are you going to pay for that service? And okay. do you understand I- that you're paying that as well? That's that's one of the key things: is the the customer, the consumer, understanding what they're getting and what they're paying for, and what are the risks. Okay, so we can move into disclosures, but now there was an infographic that was shared in our community in the, uh, let's do a plug for the uh, personal finance community on Google+. We'll share the link on Twitter. Please join us there. Consider that our commercial, or I mean, personal finance bloggers love ads, so that's our ad for the show. Um, what you're telling me is uh, there was an infographic that was shared in our community that said 90% of financial planners don't beat the market. Haven't beat the correct? market. Haven't beat the market in the last. Haven't five beat years. the market. Ninety percent of financial planners don't beat the market. Oh, excuse me. No, it's mutual it fund mutual managers. Funds. Okay, yeah. mutual fund managers. Is that what we're talking here? Mm. Uh, well, there's a difference. So the mutual fund manager is the actual, obviously, the, the individual that's charged with heading the uh, strategic investment of the mutual fund according to the mutual fund's um, uh, listed objectives. So okay. that person is that person is the mutual fund manager, the financial planner, and the and kind of something that um, Noel and I were talking about is that the the financial planner is the person who actually talks to you about how your investments fit into your overall life. So what kind of income you need to have from them 
at age whatever, 67, when you retire. So the financial planner looks at the whole picture and, and the choices that you're making now and how those impact the future. The, the mutual fund manager, if you happen to be invested in mutual funds, is the person that makes the investments on your behalf in a way. Those two those two are often conflated. So I'm, not, I'm actually kind of sidestepping what you were talking about, the 10% or the 90%. But those two, those investments are very often conflated with financial planning. So very often, and well, I'm sure you get this too, very often I get inquiries from people who want to talk about only their investments and that is something that other people do and that's fine. That's not something that I do because I don't want to just talk about somebody's investments because to talk about them on their own is is like saying, well, you spend $200 at the grocery store a month without talking about how many kids they have or what kind of food they like to eat or what kind of grocery stores are near them or what part of this, you know, the country they live in. It's totally out of context. Um, that is a, I'm sorry, that was a total rabbit trail and a tangent. It wasn't anything to do with what you asked, but I wanted to say it anyway. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and, and what you said, Sandy, that's really, like, I, I get those inquiries all the time as well. And it is, uh, you know, I mentioned when we were talking before that it is a pet peeve of mine that the entire industry seems to really be focused on investments. And they kind of equate financial planning equals investment advice and I'm not quite sure how we got there and I I mean I suspect that it's because that's where the bulk of the money is in terms of financial services um, on the financial planning side if you want to call it that but they're really two different things or, or they're you know investment advice is one piece perhaps financial planning and there's some debate whether it really is financial planning or it's a separate thing but uh, there's so much more to financial planning and what a fee-only financial planner does that someone who is, you know, essentially a product salesperson um, just can't spend time doing because they're not selling product. Um, you know, we get questions from time to time or we see comments on blogs or on forums where people say, uh, you know, how big a portfolio do you take or what's the minimum or where? What, why would somebody pay to get a financial plan done if let's say they only have a portfolio of you know five thousand dollars or something would they pay a thousand or two thousand or whatever it is dollars for a financial plan and I say well we do financial plans for people who have zero investment assets because they need advice in other areas as well they need advice about you know how much they're spending on their debt they need advice on their cash flow are they using their money in the most efficient way they need advice on their taxes. Are they paying a high tax rate and they could get a lot of benefit from, you know, RRSB contributions or arranging their affairs in a different manner? They need, a, you know, advice about their wills and their estate planning, about how much they need to save for retirement, even if they haven't started saving yet. So they need advice in all these other areas. And there seems to be this notion that, you know, if you don't have investments, you don't really need advice. And I, and I get that from people who... Um, when I say I'm a financial advisor, actually I've started using the term money coach more because because of this conflation, people seem to think they know what a financial advisor does. When I told my dentist I'm a financial advisor, he said, oh great, people need advice on what to invest in. Uh, and other people have said, um, you know, they expect me to sell them something right away, so they're saying, oh, I don't have any money to invest. Um, but that's not what a financial advisor or financial planner, I guess, more specifically, uh, should be concerned with. And I'm going to be honest, I'm very guilty of that because until you just made the the very distinct, you know, this is what we do versus this is what we do, I would assume that 
I would not approach a financial planner unless I had money to invest. Like I've never, I've never dealt with a financial planner because I mean, a suit in a bank? Come on. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk to a banker about what to do. I first, I first of all, I just don't trust them. And uh, you know, my history being a mortgage broker, I mean, we're arch enemies, right? Like we we hate the banks just <laughs> on pure principle alone. But uh, no, let's uh, let's move into let's move into this other article that Sandy brought up uh, by Tim. I believe it's Tim Paziak, and it's what the mutual fund industry isn't telling you. And I think this Noel goes back to what you were talking about about the disclosures, uh, how they could. Charge Charge twenty-two thousand dollars and not, and even nobody even knows about it. Um, Sandy, why don't you talk a bit about this and what you liked about it and how it works with this conversation? Yeah, well, I mean, frankly, there is there is regulation coming down the pipe from the Securities Administration in Canada that will change that over the next three years. They're going to phase in. It's called the Consumer Relationship, no Client ma- Client Relationship Management Two. It's called doesn't matter, um, but it. Uh, it's going to phase in the fact that you will clients before the sale happens clients are going to have to know how much the advice is going to cost them so what the what the management expense ratio is which the industry will say well we always have that in the prospectus we have to hand the prospectus to clients and therefore they they know because they're responsible adults they should be reading through this thick of document to find exactly the fund that we're talking about calculate what the management expense ratio is, flip to the glossary, figure out what a management expense ratio actually is, what it's paying for, and then determine if that's going to be worth their while or not. So that's already happening. But obviously it's not. So in the next three years, um, any mutual fund salesperson is going to have to disclose exactly how much money it's going to cost the client and how much of that is going as part of the embedded commission is going to that specific advisor to pay for their advice. So the, the commissioned model is, of course, that um, uh, the mutual fund company pays the advisor and the advisor gives their advice away essentially for free to the client and the client then embedded within this management expense ratio pays for the management of the fund and the advice that they're, give, they're given by their advisor. And those trailing commissions go on year after year. It's not a one-time thing. Um, I'm going to jump in because uh, we've, actually, we've got some action on the Twitter machine. Uh, Women's Financial, at Women's Financial, uh, uh, brings up a good point and says that fees seem outrageous on large amounts and minimum on smaller investment portfolios of, say, 10000 The question is, are you getting value for what you're paying? And I can agree with that. I, I like that. Um, also, uh, somebody named Holy Potato um, with a... I think it's like a Darth Vader potato avatar, kind of deadly, says, Sandy, similarly, the word I've chosen isn't planner or coach, but educator, also the doctor. There you go. That's awesome. (laughs) I want to be the financial doctor. Financial doctor. There we go. (laughs) That's going to be my ringtone now is the TARDIS. (laughs) There that you is go. why you know that is why I, I started saying that earlier. That is now when I introduce myself, I introduce myself as a money coach, because people think they know what a financial advisor is and what they do and how they work. When you say money coach, they kind of stop and go, "Huh, what's that?" And the, you know, there are there are life coaches and there are fitness coaches, and and a money coach is very analogous to that in that they're they're advising people, they're educating them, they're providing answers to them, but they require them to do. 
their work. You know. Okay, I'm gonna throw this out there. I'm gonna I gotta play this. But doesn't Coach kind of sound foo foo? A little it bit. Does. You know, it does. But a lot of people who are seeking help, they want a coach. They want someone who's knowledgeable, who's experienced, who's going to be helpful, who's going to motivate them, who's going to make them accountable. Uh, and that's really what we do. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is kind of foo-foo. I have to say, as part of Money Coaches Canada, I'm one of only two men in the organization. Uh, <laughs> the rest are all, all women. Uh, so I well, guess I'm you know, in touch with my feminine side a little bit. And Noel, well, you, did, you said you started, uh, you started using coach more than planner. And is that because there, because there's more of a negative connotation or some confusion around what a financial planner does then? I, I think so because there is that confusion because people think they think they know what a financial planner does um, but as we've seen from you know comments online and you know when I when I see articles whether it's on blogs or whether it's in newspapers you, online you see the comments that follow for instance there are cases where you know a financial planner has said something about you know uh, and these might be financial planners who, who either sell products or don't sell products. But they say, you know, I recommend going with an indexing strategy. And if you look at the comments on the blogs uh, in response to that, they say, I would never hire a financial planner who would recommend an indexing strategy. You know, why, what am I paying them for? But that's really just a small piece of what you're going to a financial planner for. Uh, those people have completely missed the boat in terms of what a financial planner does in their entirety from end to end in all areas of a person's uh, you know, financial life. So going back to the 68-year-old uh, mother, who does she need then to, to help her out? Does she need someone to manage her assets or does she need more of a plan regarding you know, potential you know, estate and, and will and, and, and that sort of planning? Well, it sounds like she, she needs both. So she does have a substantial portfolio. She might have a million-dollar portfolio and that does need to be managed and as I think the the person who asked the question said, you know, she she wants low-cost funds, but she doesn't want to do it herself. He was very clear about that. Right. That, and, and I think there's a very small percentage of people who are actually good candidates for do-it-yourself investing. Uh, and I know there's all kinds of articles and blog posts out there about, you know, do-it-yourself investing and, and indexing and couch potato strategies. And I think the 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 reasoning is very sound and the, the math is very sound behind all of that. Personality-wise, from what I see in coaching people, there's a lot of anxiety. Um, there's a lot of emotion around money. Uh, people, you know, money isn't just a tool. It, money is a tool, but it's not just a tool for people. It's so many things. It's security. It's power. It's control. Um, you know, there's so many things around money, and we see it all the time in in cycles and in investments. How people, you know, fear and greed. They they sell when things are low and they buy when it's high, only to lose money. Uh, it takes a lot of discipline to manage your own money, uh, a lot of emotional detachment. Um, I'm a financial advisor, a financial planner. I've studied about you know analyzing companies and analyzing stocks. And frankly, I tell clients, you know, I don't give investment advice. Um, I'm not licensed to do so, and I don't want to do so. And I outsource my money management to others as well. I have some of my portfolio is in you know indexing strategies. And other parts where I think there's value, I outsource it to a low-cost mutual fund provider. Um, and I know right there, there are people watching this right now who will say, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. I'm, I'm not going to hire him. I, I wouldn't work with him because he's doing indexing or he's hiring a mutual fund manager anyway. 
but that's really missing a point and a lot of the value in what a financial planner who's working in your best interest, and that's, that's an important point to make, um, what they can offer. Well, and what some of the other investment advisors are trying to sell people is that uh, they are smarter than just putting your money in an index. They know what's emerging and, and what gold's going to do and what oil is about to do and what Russia's doing. And, uh, and so you'd be smarter to go with them and put your money in to beat the market. But as we shared earlier with that infographic and the 90% of you know, the active money managers or the mutual funds aren't beating the market at all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Sandy. No, I've you go. A lot. No, you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I mean, finding finding a, a fund manager that works for you is, you know, that's one thing. And and we try to, for instance, when we uh, work with a client, we can't refer to them to um, a specific, you know, say buy this mutual fund or buy that stock or or whatever it is. Uh, we would normally refer them to um, either a company or a, an investment advisor who is licensed to place those products, as long as we vetted them first and we're comfortable that they are also going to continue to work in the best interest of the client, um, that they're aligned, that they have good stewardship, that they have low fees uh, or reasonable fees, you know, that they're providing good value. Um, you know, we make this analogy, uh, or the the industry makes this analogy that when you're investing, you know, you're you're on the stormy seas and you need an experienced captain to guide you and to guide you through the stormy seas and bring you through to a, a wonderful retirement on the other end. And you know that's great. I think that's important for uh, an invest in, for someone managing your investments to be experienced and to be able to guide you. But you know, and you want that person along on that ride with you for the long term. But do you really want along for the ride the person who sold you the boat? You know, <laughs> are they offering some value besides just having sold you the boat in the first place? Are they swabbing the decks or doing something that's that's adding value on an ongoing basis? If they are, and you're getting value from that, terrific. And I don't have a quarrel with those people. You know, it is tough to do their job being in this kind of tug of war with competing interests. But if they're doing something great, if all they did was sell you the product, and you never hear from them, and they don't provide advice to you, you're not getting advice from them on your taxes, on your estate planning, on your retirement needs, on your cash flow. And I think cash flow is a really big thing that a lot of financial planners miss, uh, perhaps even fee-only financial planners. Uh, on debt reduction, if you're not getting advice in those areas, you know, why are you paying them a trailer? What value are they adding? Yeah, yeah and do you know what? If I could interject too, I think, and I just had this discussion with a client the other day. Um, People are not very confident in just asking why. So this goes back to the what is the value that you add. And I think, I, and from my own experience, before I was ever a money nerd, I would not ask the question why. I wouldn't keep asking until I understood because I was afraid that I was starting off a relationship or continuing a relationship with somebody that is going to manage my money for me in an adversarial way. But I think Canadians, re especially Canadians, because we pay some of the highest mutual fund fees in the world, we need to go into, it doesn't mean that you're a chump if you invest in mutual funds. And I know that there's a lot of literature out there that would say that's the case. And I just, I firmly believe that mutual funds are a, a investment vehicle that people can use to their benefit. But you need to be, it doesn't matter what the disclosures are, they're going to be wussy anyway. I mean, we make that joke all the time. Just because somebody hands you a stack of papers this big, it doesn't mean that you've been disclosed to. You need to take that, don't be 
I'm speaking directly to Canada now. Don't see that, and don't be don't be intimidated by the person in the suit or in the whatever snazzy business cash outfit that they're in across the desk from you. Just keep asking why. Why am I in this particular fund? Why why would you recommend this asset allocation instead of this one? Can you tell me what this management expense ratio even means? How you get paid and why that would interest me and what's important to me because. Their answer's not, you're not necessarily looking for facts all of the time. It's a litmus test. Do you want to work with somebody who doesn't know even how to answer those questions? And frankly, some of the time, you're across the desk from somebody who's had one or two years of experience. They've just passed their investment funds in Canada course. They have their mutual fund license. And now suddenly, they're as terrified as you are. They're kind of in the deep water. They heard a wealth management call the last week, and they really don't know what to say to you. And it's not that they're bad people, but you need to have the confidence. It's your money. You care. You need to have the confidence to ask all of the questions until you understand. And don't leave the office or come back for another appointment until you're completely understanding what the value is that they're offering to you, what the price is that you're paying for it, and whether you think that's worth it. Sure. And, and it's, not just, it's not just why. It's why not, right? Like you go, you hear about uh, TD E-Series funds, which is a, a low-cost index fund. And uh, but it, it's meant for people to you know kind of do it yourself online. And so if you go into someone at uh, you know a mutual fund salesperson at TD, you know you might not get all the help that you need there, or you probably won't. And uh, you know so you ask why not or point me in the right direction. They, you know some of them pretend that they don't even know it exists. And so you, you you know you need to you know you need to ask those questions. You know why why are you steering me into this? you know, uh, this particular growth fund rather than the one I came here and asked about. Yeah, we've, I know we've told in the past, we've told clients, um, or some of my colleagues have, I haven't had that experience myself, but uh, where they have to be directed, you know, if you're going into TD, tell them I want the E-Series fund specifically. And don't let them sell to you one of their other funds uh, because, you know, they, you, you've gone in for that fund specifically and that's what you should be getting. And, and along Sandy's point, if the person you're talking to, if the advisor or the planner that you're talking to is really reluctant to answer these questions for you, or they're making you feel bad for having asked the questions, they're making you feel stupid, then that's a sign that that's probably not the right person for you, uh, you know, straight up. Yeah. I'm going to jump in and uh, kind of go over a little bit about this uh, at Women's Financial. I really like this question because it kind of, she says, fees seem outrageous on large amounts and on smaller amounts of portfolios. The question is, are you getting value for what you're paying? So here's a question to you guys as fee-only planners. Um, is there more value for the high net worth client? And as the as the client's net worth drops, does the value then in turn drop with that? So you say, Noel, that you would do uh, planning with for somebody with no assets. Is that really as valuable as say uh, somebody with a million dollars to invest going the fee only route? Like, where's the where's the line? What's the what's the average client that that should be dealing with uh, with a fee only planner? I think there could be benefit in most people going to a fee-only planner. Now, how much benefit they'll derive depends on you know how efficient are they or, or how optimized is their situation already. And this goes back to our discussion about you know behavioral work versus optimization. But if a person who comes to you, you know, I would say you know a typical client who comes to me is someone who's making good money, 
Um, they might be making you know close to a hundred thousand as an individual or as a family. They might be you know one hundred fifty thousand or so, but they might have a very low net worth, or in fact, some of them have a negative net worth because of their spending habits in the past, and for a variety of reasons, you know, that comes about where they're just they're excellent at their jobs. And I want to make this point as well: the clients I deal with are not stupid people. They are very intelligent people. They're accomplished in their fields. They might be doctors or lawyers or uh, high-level civil servants or you know directors in a large company. They're making good money. They're very good at their jobs, but managing their money is one of the items that has just kind of fallen off the list, either because they're too busy or they just don't have that particular mind for it. So those people can find you know tremendous value in a money coach or a financial planner. Um, if they have debt they're, de they're dealing with, especially high interest debt, you know, credit card debt at 20% or 30%, um, you know, how long before that debt gets paid off and how much interest are you paying along the way? Um, if they're spending their money in a way that uh, basically they're not getting good value, they're kind of frittering their money away, they're not achieving their goals, they're sort of stuck. The, uh, the co-founders of Money Coaches Canada released a book last year called Unstuck, and it's basically how to get out of your money rut and start living the life you want. Um, that's sort of a guidebook for people who are not making progress towards their goals. So they feel they're stuck. They've been in the situation, you know, their debt has stayed the same or maybe has slightly creeped up over many years. Um, their retirement savings aren't really growing. They're approaching retirement, and they see there's not too many years left before they have to retire. Uh, there's a lot of kind of stressful situations that people get into, life transitions, a marriage, a divorce, um, change of job, they want to move, they want to invest in a property. There are a whole bunch of situations where you know people really want advice and want to know, am I going to be okay? Uh, so I think in all those situations, they can benefit. What the actual financial benefit to them is, it kind of depends on what their circumstances is and how big is the decision that they're, they're contemplating. Sandy, what are your thoughts? I think I was just thinking in my head right then. Noelle summed it up so perfectly. The the financial it's perfect. I don't even want to add anything except for to say Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there we go. Well, um, when, uh, sorry if I can just jump in here. Yeah. The, uh, when you t start talking about value, I think the you know the someone who's just starting out who maybe have a negative net worth or or you know it doesn't have a lot of assets to manage they can certainly get a lot of value out of a fee only planner it's just the obstacle is the thousand dollars or the two thousand dollars up front and, and that's why it seems so easy to fall back to the mutual fund or to go to your bank and say I want to get started on a monthly withdrawal or a monthly savings plan you know two hundred bucks a month and they get into the mutual fund with the two percent MER and just kind of go from there and uh, you know so that that's the biggest obstacle I think is you know other than not knowing or not knowing that you have access to a fee-only planner with that you know when you're just starting out is you know where do you come up with a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars when you don't have any money right and that's part of what we do is so because we tend to work with people with higher incomes usually they have pretty good cash flow and part of our job of course is to make sure that our fee fits into their budget as well so we spend a lot of time, and, and the money coaching aspect is really painstaking work in terms of going through their finances, uh, understanding where their cash is going, um, making them aware of that, because oftentimes when we 
list out how they're spending their money, there are usually a few surprises in there as to where their money's going. And we want to draw it to their attention and say, here's how you're spending your money now, but you told me these are your goals. So are you really aligning how you're spending your money with what your goals are? And we can normally get them of their own accord to voluntarily sort of cut back in certain areas. And, and really, it's their choice. Like They have to say what's important to them and then use those goals to uh, motivate them to get you know, make changes in their life that will lead them towards their goals ultimately. Um, the tragedy about going to the bank is that, like you said, the person will start an automatic payment plan, maybe, investing, whatever you said, $200 a month into some mutual fund. At the same time, they're not taking care of that, you know, credit card debt. So they're investing money with no guaranteed return paying a, a fee, a percentage, you know, 2.5% or whatever it is on, on that fund, maybe earning 3, 4, 5, 6, if it's a great year, you know, 10%, that's going to be taxable if it's outside of a registered account. And on the other side, they're paying 20% non-tax deductible on their credit card. And I see that as well when clients come to us where they're putting away aggressively in their RRSP and they're not paying down the debt on this side. And so they're really not making progress. They, they think they're doing the right thing because they've been told you should invest, you should be saving for retirement. And, you know, they're following that kind of rule of thumb advice uh, back to episode two. But uh, they're really not making progress and they don't quite see that. And, and they're not going to get that kind of advice when they're at that level at the bank where they have no assets and they're just starting on $200 a month. They're not going to get that kind of advice from the bank. There's no money in it for the bank. Uh, to, to offer that advice, quite simply. Well, and they will get advice. I mean, they'll get like kind of a tick box. I always call it the Cosmo quiz. You know, like what are your three top goals? And so, and, and if debt repayment is one of them, then it's going to be consider getting the the card that has the lower you know fee, or consider adding ten dollars to your minimum payment, or whatever. So that's, I mean, they get advice. But um, oh, I had a whole point while you were talking. While you're collecting your thoughts, I'm going to jump in, and uh, the Twitter has uh, some things to say. Um, uh, the Potato, at Holy Potato, apparently he's a hockey fan. Uh, Rob's point is good one, but so many of those just throw your cash in, buy an RSP, have no overarching plan. It costs money up front, but it is so important. Just up to planners to make people understand that value. That's Okay, so there you go. That's the point that we're trying to make. You, The thing that Canadians don't know, and this ties all the way, full circle moment, all the way back to what you're paying for your mutual funds. If you have no idea what you're paying for your mutual funds, sure, writing a $1,000 check or sending that you know, through email transfer or whatever feels painful at the time. It feels less painful to pay it in kind of little dribs and drabs through your management expense ratio over the next two or three years. But when you pay it up front, golly, that makes you pay attention. When when people have to pay that money to somebody else, and yes, Rob, I'm sure you get this all the time, and I get this a lot too. Why on earth would you pay for advice when you can get it all for free from? Well, somebody said the library, but I think that person might have been. <laughs> they might have been 68 years old. <laughs> not part of the digital age, <laughs> but if you can, get, I mean, frankly, it is. It's not rocket science. Oh, let's have another full circle moment. It's not rocket science. You can find it out on a blog like Boomer and Echo, or like. You know, the holy potato. You can find it, all that stuff. There's rational thinkers online. The problem is when regular people read that who aren't money nerds, right, they read that and they say, okay, so you say you were talking about this situation, so here's my situation. What do you think about that? 
that service, I mean, if, if Rob decides he's going to write somebody back an email that asks him that question, that's all very nice. But that obviously, that's not what he is using his time for. Normally, he's writing a blog. Um, so the people that really just want the, well, what would you say to me about this? They, yes, can access that information for free online, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily have the skills, the interest, or the time to apply it specifically to their own advice. I could figure out how to change my own oil. My husband gets angry that I don't know how, but I don't choose to because I don't really care about cars. It's not interesting. Money is interesting. Cars are not. So I take my car to the mechanic. I take care of my own money. And other people flip it around and do the opposite. And on that note, we have officially gone 45 minutes, and our target was 45 minutes. So, I mean, I'm saying, like, yes, fist pump. We did it. We did it in time. If anybody would like to carry on the conversation, we do have the uh, community uh, on Google+. Plus. It's a uh, personal finance community. Join us. Post an article. Talk about it. Talk with us there. We, we generally comment on stuff there. Uh, Rob, I'm going to give you the last word, and then I'm going to thank Noel for... Uh, I gotta send you cookies, oh, Noel. Cookies. For uh, cook, Noel's getting cookies. He's getting a dozen in the mail, uh, and then uh, yeah, then we're out. We're gonna all go goodbye. But Rob, why don't you uh, say something intelligent? Well, I just wanted to go back to the point about the uh, you know someone just starting out and how much value you can get out of a fee-only financial planner or just unbiased advice, right? Um, you know, so often it's just easier to just to go to your bank that you've been banking at for 20 years or 30 years and you know, sit down with someone and say, I want to put some, start putting some money away. And, uh, you know, if we could only get, get those people to, you know, some unbiased advice to say, these are the kinds of products or not products, but these are the, this is what you need to be thinking about in terms of your goals. You know, I started saving money when I was 20 for retirement and at the time it didn't make any sense. I'm, you know, I still had a, you know, wedding and a, car to buy and, and a house to buy and all that stuff, right? And so, you know, I just, I, I kind of went about it the wrong way and, and learned from it. And so, you know, I think there's so much value that can be added from unbiased advice. And even if you have to pay up front for it, um, it's going to be cheaper in the long run and it's going to do up with a good roadmap going forward. I couldn't agree more. And I don't know much about it, but that sounded... Sounds good to me, Rob. So, sounds good. So, Noel, thanks for thanks for joining us, and thanks to all the viewers. We actually had a steady amount of viewers through the whole time. So, thanks everybody who watched. I'm sure my dad was involved in that, and Noel, uh, maybe your mom was watching. And uh, sure. hello to everyone. And uh, well, thanks guys, and we'll be back next week. We'll have to arrange a guest and figure out who's going to be joining us. But just want to say thanks to everybody who watched, and Noel, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we, it's much appreciated. Thank you, Jackson, back. Rob, and Sandy. On that note, we are out. I'd love to be back. <laughs> we will have you back. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.